Shabbat Shalom. It is a privilege and pleasure to uh, welcome our guest to Darshanit for this morning, um, Yael Kalman. How long have you been a member now? Five years. Okay, so you're not quite at like Kelsen Kornblatt levels of having grown up here, but close. And uh, um, and keeping in our our K's for the for Shabbat, I guess we have a Kalman now. Uh, but it is our uh, privilege and honor to welcome you to the Bema to offer words of wisdom and Torah this morning. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Should I, maybe I'll go to this one because the mic is a little lower. Okay, okay. All right, Shabbat shalom. Is that better? Okay, good. All right, so I'm going to tell you the story of how my parents in the 1980s decided to buy an answering machine. Okay, so guys, kids, an answering machine <laughs> is, so it used to be that phones used to be connected to the wall with wires, okay? And it used to be that if someone called you and you weren't available, then maybe they would miss you, and then they would just have to try again. But an answering machine would enable you to leave a message, then that person would hear the message later, and then they'd call you back. Okay. So, my parents did not have an answering machine, and I'll set the scene for you. It's Passover, and it's Yom Tov, and my parents didn't pick up the phone on Yom Tov. Um, my father is a conservative rabbi in Atlanta, um, and the phone rang, and it was Yom Tov, and he couldn't pick up. And it kept ringing and ringing and ringing over and over and over again. My father looks at my mother and he says, it must be an emergency. So he picks up the phone. And this is what he hears on the other end of the line. What time is Yisker? <laughs> and so my father, through gritted teeth, says, services start at 9 a.m. And then he slams the phone. It used to be that you could slam the phone, too, and not just, like, <laughs> click. And it was a lot more satisfying. And then after Yantif, my parents went out and bought an answering machine. Okay, so why am I telling you this story? So it might not be so obvious, but I think that this story is kind of a paradigm for different modes of thinking about religious obligation in a modern Jewish age. And so the person who was calling, what was the religious obligation that they felt really, really strongly about? Being in shul for Yisker, exactly. And so this clearly mattered a lot to this person. And also, guys, don't forget, this is pre-internet. There used to not be an internet. And so they couldn't just go to the shul website and look it up and see what time they estimated Yisker would be. And so they, you know, and they also didn't know that it was, maybe they, they didn't know that it was Yantif, and so they figured, okay, I'll just call the rabbi and find out. So the congregant who was calling was clearly very well-intentioned and felt a strong sense of obligation to be in shul for Yisker to remember a loved one. My father also took very seriously his sense of obligation not to use the phone or use electricity on Yantif and on Shabbat, which is something that he took on as an adult. But he also recognized that it wasn't important enough that if it wasn't important enough, it was an emergency, then it was also important enough to violate that. And so maybe the person who felt really strongly about being in shul for Yisker 
maybe they had that modeled for them as a child growing up, that it's really important to remember a loved one by going the isker. And I think that for many of us, seeing something modeled for us growing up is a reason to make something a priority as an adult. Um, there was a member here who told me that growing up, every Friday night, her father would make everyone sit down for Shabbos dinner, no matter what was happening. And that's something that now she's doing with her own family and her own household, that everyone, all of her kids, they all have to be home on Friday night and sit down for a Shabbat dinner together. Okay, so let's talk, let's talk about the Parsha. So Parshat Matot begins um, talking about vows and oaths and whose can be overturned and how it can be a very serious thing to make a vow or an oath. So at the beginning of the parsha, we're told, Ish ki dor nedar la'ashem, if a person makes a vow to God, o hi le'esor isar anafsho, or takes an oath, imposing an obligation on himself, lo yachel devaro, he should not break his word, kechol hayotze mipiv yase, everything that comes out of his mouth, he should do. Okay, so this whole pasuk strikes me as a bit odd in context on its own. Um, so I'll, I'll read it again and have in mind and want to hear a couple, some, some thoughts on what strikes you as odd about it. If a person makes a vow to God or takes an oath imposing an obligation on himself, he shall not break his pledge. He must fulfill all that comes out of his mouth. What are some thoughts on what strikes you as odd about it? Steve. Right. So, like, why make a vow? Why take this on yourself? Why? Who would do that? Right? Great. Any other thoughts? Rabbi? The vav has to be articulated? Oh, the vow. I thought you said the vav, and I thought you were making a grammatical point. Okay. It's like, oh, God, got to think back on that. Okay. Mm. Wow. Okay, great. So the vow has to be something that, um, that you articulate, that you say out loud, that is thoughtful and thought through, and that, that, you, that you articulate. Great. Any other, any other thoughts? Elon? Okay, great. So, like, why does it have to be a whole thing, right? Like, just do what you say and say what you do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I'm right. Okay, great, great. So, why is it that in this pasuk it says that everything that you say that you say you should you must do? Because just a few psukim later, we talk about how it can be overturned, and particularly for women, if a um, a male member of the household overturns it, and and we'll talk about Yom Kippur in a little bit too. Okay, great. So you've anticipated basically everything that I'm going to say. So this is excellent. Um, now I know. Now I know how you feel about this. So, but first, I want to pick up on what Steve said before about um, 
why on earth would you take this on, right? Like this is coming right after Parshat Pinchas, where it details all of these sacrifices that the Israelites are supposed to make on holidays, and how many sacrifices, what type of sacrifices, all these details, and you're taking on more? Why would you do that, right? And, um, and I think this is something that a lot of us relate to, right? We're all, we're, a lot of us are overcommitted. We have a lot of obligations in our lives with, and then can get an insight into why I'm thinking about this, right? Like work and family and Jewish obligations. And so why would you take on more? Um, and the rabbis also are concerned about people taking on vows that they aren't going to keep necessarily. And like Yochanan was saying, the Yom Kippur liturgy starts with kol nidre, a public annulment of vows that the members of the community have taken on. Um, and it's also interestingly found its way into, um, into the colloquial speech that people use where people say bli neder, like without a vow. Um, and it's so, it's so as to avoid a situation where you're taking on an obligation and you might not fulfill it, right? So like, I'll put up the shelves tomorrow or something like that so you don't find yourself in a, in a situation where you, where you will have inadvertently taken on a vow. Um, the commentators on the Torah um, also interpret these psukim in ways that show, um, like Rabbi Cooper was saying, that this is, it is something that needs to be articulated and has to be in a way that's level-headed and measured um, the Kliakar, a 16th century Polish Czech uh, Torah commentator, comments on ki dor neder lahashem. If someone makes a vow to God. So what does having, what does adding to God um, contribute to, to the pasuk? What does it mean to make a vow to God? And the Kliakar says, if a vow is taken on in anger, in a rush of emotion, it's not a neder to God but rather a neder to God is one that's taken on on a more rational and level-headed state of mind. Um, and Rashi comments on another part of the pasuk, lo yachel devaro. And so why is the word yachel used? Um, that he should not break his word. Um, and you know the phrase lo yavor al devaro could have been used instead. They should not violate his word. And Rashi says, shelo yase devarav chulin to not make it chol, to not make it profane. And also just reinforcing the idea that taking on a vow is a sacred, holy thing. Don't profane it. So we learned from all of this, a binding commitment is a sacred, holy thing that should not be taken lightly. And you should avoid taking on a vow, or taking on a serious commitment if you aren't going to fulfill it. Um, I read something that a friend and scholar um, Zohar Atkins wrote about the dynamic of vows that I found really powerful and insightful and I wanted to share with you. So he writes, from a liability point of view, it is better not to vow than to vow and violate. Yet from an ethical point of view, it seems obvious that a life without commitments is not a life. To make a vow and keep it is its own profound miracle. And one way to think about the performance of mitzvot, commandments, is that we are when we are fulfilling a vow, oh, is that we are fulfilling a vow that we made millennia ago. And that should bring tremendous awe, gratitude, joy, and humility. And on the other hand, and he continues, 
there sometimes comes a breaking point where we have good reasons not to keep a vow and where the formalism of a past promise cannot be enough to sustain us. If we are unable to keep promises, unable to keep commitments, we must reckon with the flimsiness and the fickleness of our identity. So it's a really powerful thing to take on and maintain a serious binding commitment. And it ties us back to generations ago, um, to those who met those commitments before us. And we exercise great agency in making that decision to commit. And for me and for many of us here, um, parenting is the primary expression of obligation in our daily lives or at some point in our lives. It's the strongest sense of non-negotiable obligation and binding commitment that we experience in becoming a parent. And in an ideal world, becoming a parent is a choice. Um, and God willing, those who want to become parents are able to. Um, a Jewish philosopher, Mara Benjamin, um, wrote a book a couple of years ago called The Obligated Self. And one of the core ideas of the book is that she looks at parental obligation, and specifically at maternal obligation, the obligation of mothers, to as a way of experiencing religious obligation in, a mo in the modern world. And this is what she says about maternal obligation in relation to religious obligation. It's a simultaneous exercise in submission and an exercise in agency. So I'll say that again. It's a simultaneous exercise in submission and an exercise in agency. And so that's a way that we can think about both caring for a dependent and also a way of thinking about religious obligation. It's an empowering choice and it's an ongoing sacred binding commitment. So in the modern world, religious obligation is a choice and it's a serious commitment. And like being a parent or being responsible for any dependent, it's also really, really hard. And it takes a lot of trial and error and speaking for myself, I am constantly messing up and constantly practicing and working to, working to grow. Um, and both religious obligation and responsibility for a dependent can feel really burdensome at times, and at other times can be incredibly rewarding. And for both of these areas, we need the support of partners, of friends, and community members to be more present, to be more accountable, and to make our personal and communal commitments a meaningful and holy experience. And um, what I'd like to, and I'll end with this, that I encourage all of us to think about a commitment, a mitzvah, an obligation in your life um, that you'd really like to improve in and want to recommit yourself to make it a more meaningful and holy experience. Shabbat shalom. Oh, yeah, uh, beautiful, beautiful words. Um, thank you for sharing them and for delivering them. Um, and I, uh, uh, on a personal note, I'm so glad that I got this job before everyone realized that you don't need a rabbi here at the synagogue. <laughs> well, well done. Uh, we